Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keuchel Lansing got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in. It is the Sox on Tap post game show. Johnny Nani here alongside a guy that we are having on for the first time this year. You may have heard his voice in seasons past, but it's our guy, Akins. Kins, welcome back to the show. It is good to be on with you despite discussing a White Sox loss. Johnny, my friend, it is great to be back. Um, pretty much just like you said, it's been a long time. It's been my first time this year, but um, yeah, you know, always a good time hopping on with you guys, being able to chat some White Sox baseball. Uh, unfortunately, we're talking about a rough extra inning loss here tonight, but you know, uh, I'm hoping that for the rest of the season, there'll be plenty of more wins for us to talk about th- this year. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's tough and it always sucks to lose in any, any game. You know, we have the White Sox to go 162 and oh, and not into the playoffs. No doubt about that. I mean, we're diehards here, but uh, that's just the way it goes. You're going to lose games sometimes. Obviously, a little bit sloppy at points tonight, but we will get into all of that. Before we do, listeners, make sure you are visiting ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can find us on social media at Socks on Tap and at On Tap Sportsnet. The show is also brought to you by Grandstand. Make sure you're visiting them by the ballpark at 35th and Wallace. You can shop online, grandstandsocks.com, and be sure to follow them on social media at Grandstand Socks, where they're dropping tons of new hat releases. So go and check them out there. That's Grandstand Socks. So, Kins, before we get into this game here, let's talk a little bit of news, because obviously the trade deadline is looming here on Friday. A couple of interesting things went down in Charlotte tonight here. Um, Jimmy Lambert leaves a start after only two innings. Jake Berger pulled from the game in the ninth inning. No postgame media availability for the Knights after this game. Is the trade brewing here? I feel like it has to, right? Um, I mean, these are just instances that seem like a, a little bit too much to just be, you know, a, like big old coincidence. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And for a while here, the trade market wasn't really too hot. So I know the big Adam Frazier trade went down over the weekend, but after that things kind of really started to settle um, in the earlier part of this week. I think we saw Andrew Chafin go to the A's and that was the most noteworthy move in the earlier parts of the week. But then today, Wednesday, um, everyone just seemed like it was it, it it almost felt like today was the trade deadline with just the plethora of moves that were being put out there. So, I mean, we saw Starling Marte go to the A's. Um, we saw Joey Gallo go to the Yankees, which at the time of Jimmy Lambert being pulled, that was also the same time that Joey Gallo was being scratched. So uh, people on White Sox Twitter were trying to put two and two together, but ultimately uh, two plus two did not equal four in this case, with that being Joey Gallo coming to the south side as he ends up on the Yankees. Um, So I think there has to be because um, 
you see a lot of people complaining online about how there's no move being made and people are being a little bit impatient seeing fits like a Joey Gallo or Stalling Marte and especially Eduardo Escobar um, being sent to the Brewers. Um, everyone's just kind of waiting for the Sox to make that big move. And I hope that the Sox strike while the kettle's hot. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, it's really picking up uh, as of late as all those moves uh, that you mentioned there. Most of them happening just today here on Wednesday, July 28th. Obviously, the deadline, 3 p.m. Central Time Friday. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. I agree. It seems like all too much happening at once to be a coincidence. So I would assume trade is brewing kind of like a gut feeling here. I don't have any insider info. I'm not Ken Rosenthal, but if I were to guess, I would think that something is on the horizon. So make sure you're staying tuned to ontapsportsnet.com and Socks on Tap on Twitter for those updates as they come through. All right. Um, other than that, uh, let, let's talk uh, Luis Robert. It looks like he had a pretty decent game at Charlotte tonight. You got any info uh, on what he did down on the farm during his rehab stint here? Yeah, so he actually went two for four today. So he was hitting leadoff and was the designated hitter for the Charlotte Knights, which their lineup's actually looking pretty decent right now. So there's they're out there uh, trotting guys like Luis Robert and our boy Rake Lamb. Uh, so hopefully we'll start to see some of those guys coming up here soon. But yeah, so he went two for four. He had a single in his first at bat. And then in his second at bat, he um, crushed a, a double off the right field wall. So it's good to see that he has some of that opposite field power going. And I think with him, it's just a matter of time uh, before he gets his legs back in order to be able to return to the south side. Probably not going to see him this weekend against Cleveland, I would imagine. Um, but I think shortly thereafter, sometime in, in the next week, we could see that um, even potentially by the Cubs series. Yeah, right, exactly. And you look at the timeline that Eloy had, you know, his brief stint in Winston-Salem and then moving up to Charlotte. Luis Robert is just in game two here at Charlotte, I believe. So um, obviously transferred there earlier this week, uh, just uh, kind of getting going down there. Um, so it will be interesting to see, uh, but probably not too, too far behind. So we'll keep an eye out on Luis Robert. All right, last bit of news before we get into this game from tonight. Uh, Eloy was removed from the ninth inning of this game for precautionary reasons due to right groin tightness, according to the White Sox. Twitter account. Gavin Sheets would pinch hit for him in that ninth inning. So we'll get to that juncture there. Uh, always scary to see this, Kins, especially with him just coming back now. But I do want to put out, you know, precautions here that First of all, the move itself is precautionary. They said it. Tony Lewis said it in the post game, and then also it's extremely hot and humid out in KC. Like it was feeling like you know upper nineties uh, first pitch uh, to start this thing, and you know Kansas City can just get you know extremely humid, even more so uh, than here in, in the Chicago land. So uh, I just want to put out those disclaimers. But you think we got anything to worry about here? Uh, no. I mean, obviously, I'm gonna knock on wood real quick right after that, but um. I agree with everything you said there. So uh, you brought up the point about the weather here. Uh, the first thing I did when I saw that news come through is I pulled up my weather app on my phone and I looked at the weather going on there in uh, Kansas City. And you're exactly right. Even at about 10 o'clock or so, whenever that move happened, um, it was over 90 degrees and with the humidity it felt like it was 97 um so yeah i i think you know you obviously have to be careful with that and i'm glad they are he's played three straight days albeit two of them have been a designated hitter but you know he needs to get his legs back he needs to get his timing back um so i think it's the right move and there's no way he's not getting a day off tomorrow we'll put it that way 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Because they're playing straight through a uh, day game tomorrow, quick turnaround, and then they will be back home for the weekend. So I would imagine, like you'd said, uh, out of the lineup on Thursday and then uh, back in uh, on Friday when we play Cleveland, assuming it's nothing serious. And I don't think it is. They said he just felt it a little bit uh, after his third at bat when he was running. So uh, that's all the updates that we have right now. So let's get into this game. That brings us to uh, the, this third game uh, of this four game set between the White Sox and Royals. Obviously, White Sox winning game two after the Royals took game one. Uh, this one did not turn out how we wanted it to. And Ken's the, the theme continues. The White Sox bats outside of the Eloy home run last night. Um, they've been dormant for what feels like at least a week here. Yeah, it's tough. And if you look at the only offense that was provided tonight, so really one of those runs was, you know, purely from that RBI single from Danny Mendick there. Um, the second run was really just smart base running by Larry Garcia. So overall, some small ball going on with the White Sox, which I mean, hey, you need to get your runs however you can. But um, for this point right now, I mean, pretty much like you were saying, just not hitting the ball in the air. And that's just not a good recipe for success. So I think we're really starting to see the fruits of the overall approach that the White Sox hitting coach Frank Menachino is instilling in these players, just essentially saying that he, we want to value average here over home runs and slugging. Um, well, I think that's just coming from a player who, in himself, Frank Minichino, slugged a whopping 383 in his MLB Oof. career, which is not great. So I know the old adage, if you can't do, teach. Um, <laughs> but I, I think you can make an exception here with, the hitting coach aspect of I think you kind of have to know how to hit in order to be a hitting coach, um, at least to some degree. So it is unfortunate because you are seeing guys that over the past few years for the White Sox have, you know, had pretty heavy power strokes, even if it's just gap power with the occasional double or so, and then occasionally being able to get one out of the ballpark. Um, other than lately, we've pretty much seen that this whole year from guys like Yohan Mankata and Tim Anderson. And at, at least for the most part during this big slump, it's just pretty much continued all the way down the line. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, this is why I love having you back on the show. Who else is pulling up Frank Medikino's slugging percentage from his playing days? I love it, kids. Uh, don't love the approach here. Uh, the White Sox have been putting out the results uh, that have uh, come from that as of late. But, hey, uh, you know, you gave good backup fact there. So, uh, you know, it kind of goes to show in that whole uh, – I saw someone – I forget who it was on Twitter. So I, I, uh, I'm remiss on the credit here. I'm sorry about that. But someone said, you know, the F the home run comment that he said about uh, – when he was talking about Andrew Vaughn earlier in the year, this is Medikino – that was cute and fine for, you know, whatever, like a little uh, bit of jolt to get Andrew Vaughn to be hitting more consistently uh, when he was in, you know, a little bit of a dry spell earlier on in the season. But, hey, overall, that can't be the approach for uh, the whole team here. So two runs ain't going to get it done, especially against a team where we should be scoring more runs against them in the Kansas City Royals. So um, like you said, it took advantage of some uh, screw ups uh, on the Royals end in the fifth inning. But that would be the extent of the White Sox scoring in this game. Um, let's talk here. Uh, the man on the mound tonight, Lucas Giolito, and there's something that both you and I noticed, and I want you to talk about it and why it is so important for Lucas Giolito if he's going to get back to close to ace-level shit. I don't know if he'll exceed Carlos Rodon or exceed Lance Lynn at any point this year, but uh, you know, we, we saw the potential in 2019. What's he doing now to help himself uh, get back there? Because he looked good uh, early on. 
Absolutely. And I think at least over the past four to five games, uh, he really has had that a shit once again. So um, I like to kind of compare it to some of the, I guess I would compare it to the 2005 White Sox. And I guess just some of the other very successful teams as of late that have been able to win the World Series. So like the 2016 Cubs, uh, more recently, the Dodgers last season. Um having multiple starting pitchers that if they were to be on most other ball clubs, they are that ace. Um, and having internal competition for who wants to be that guy. So um, at the beginning of the year, Lucas Giolito was not that guy, pal. Um, not and I think moving forward, he's really shown and he wants to kind of get in on the competition, just being able to hear what everyone has to say about Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon, especially them having the all-star accolades to the point where, you know, it looks like Lucas is almost the odd man looking in when it comes to who your first three uh, starting pitchers are in a playoff series. He, I think if it were to start today still, he'd probably be my number three, but um, he's really forcing the issue to do a little bit better there. And that really is because he's making all of his pitches work here. So especially in the first inning, as usual, um, he had that really sharp fastball and he had some very good location on his changeup as well. But especially as the game was going on, especially as he started to get a few more strikeouts, it was because that slider was working too. So in the past, when there were times where he didn't always have his best stuff, it's because the slider wasn't really working the way he wanted it to. And he really has to only rely on his fastball and his changeup. And when that tends to happen, that's when hitters are able to adjust. And then they can pretty much tee off on that pretty much either look, look for fastball or it can sit on that changeup that he occasionally throws a little high in the zone. And that's pretty easy for, some hitters to be able to get underneath and send out of the ballpark. Um, but yeah, pretty much like you said, I mean, he looked great today. Uh, it's unfortunate that things kind of didn't start to go his way in the seventh inning there. And then um, ultimately wasn't able to get the win. Yeah, absolutely. The, the slider was the big port, uh, part that I was looking for there. And you brought up a good point too, about the internal competition there too. Good to have guys like Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon resurgence pushing him back there. So Gio's final line tonight, six plus innings, four hits, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts. So I'd like to see that strikeout total get a little bit higher, but hey, uh, th there was points early on where it was, uh, you know, looking good. And this wasn't all his fault because first of all, he should have some more runs in port. And second of all, the seventh inning, like you'd mentioned, uh, did, did not help him at all. And I feel like he could have piled up a few more uh, if some routine plays are just made there. But let's get into some scoring from this game here. Uh, You'd mentioned it briefly, but it was in the top of the fifth when the White Sox would take the lead uh, after Vaughn let off with the walk, Garcia singled, Mendick with that play that you're talking about. It was a single, uh, and then he gets kind of caught up in between uh, first and second base. Um, Vaughn scored easily on the play, but then Lurie Garcia is kind of at third base, uh, but O'Hearn had been sucked off to be the cutoff man. Uh, the throw home obviously wasn't in time to get Vaughn. Uh, so the throw goes back to second base. And O'Hearn's still in the middle of the diamond. Merrifield's chasing uh, Danny Mendick back towards first base. Lurie realizes that, like you mentioned, and, and struts home. Uh, he doesn't even throw home. He uh, doesn't even get a throw home there. So uh, it, it is 2-0 White Sox here. Uh, 
at this point. Um, and uh, that's, you know, okay for now, but you'd like to add some more after that. They had a missed opportunity earlier uh, in the top of the fourth after Angle went off with the double. Uh, Abreu moved him over to third on a ground out and then three, excuse me, two strikeouts from heart of your order guys in Eloy and Moncada. So that hurts. Uh, but at this point, though, after the fifth, I kind of backtrack a little bit there. But this is White Sox up 2-0. Uh, and then we'll take it to the bottom of the seventh here. And this uh, – could have gotten uglier than it actually was, Andrew. And it was um, Perez leading off with the double. And this is where it should have been caught in the right field corner. Yes, Larry Garcia had to go a long way to make this. But, man, it, it looks like it just like hits off the glove there. He can't make the play kind of deep in that corner there. Uh, and it felt like this was really deflating for Lucas Giolito because he threw a wild pitch uh, on the next uh, very next pitch uh, that, that went uh, and put uh, Perez at third base here. Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much like you said, that was a far run for Larry to try and make that play. And I think ultimately what it came down to was it seemed like he thought he was closer to the wall than he actually was. So uh, it seemed like he thought he was running out of room. And I'm not sure if this is a product of just not playing in the uh, Kauffman Stadium outfield all that often or just even being in the outfield in general very often because he's largely um, been playing second base for the White Sox lately. So um, could just be some rust and, you know, it's a pretty big outfield out there. So even Andrew Vaughn had some trouble out there yesterday. Um, could just be an issue with some of the right fielders going on right now. Um, but hopefully they're able to shake that off moving forward. Um, but yeah, you know, pretty much like you said, that was a pretty tough situation for Giolito, um, and he wasn't able to get another out in that seventh inning. But um, what was really promising to see was the resurgence, or at least the hopeful resurgence, of Aaron Bummer out of the bullpen. Yes, absolutely, Andrew. So Solaire would hit an RBI double off of Giolito, um, and that would score uh, the Royals' first run of the game, makes it 2-1. to one. Um, Throw goes by, uh, technically ruled uh, throwing error by Andrew Vaughn from left field, but I think there was a little haphazard effort there on both Timmy um, and Mendick's part, and then Abreu uh, maybe not being right there to back up uh, behind him, so that allows uh, Solaire um, to go over to third base there. Uh, and, and this would then pull Giolito from the game. Uh, he would be chased, and Aaron Bummer comes in, what you're talking about here. Um, obviously, it's going to get a little worse after this, but let's talk about this positive here because this is big. I think it's big for Aaron Bummer's confidence. It's big for the White Sox bullpen as a whole because he came in, a man on third, nobody out, and he got the job done. Tell us how he did. It was great. So essentially started out against Andrew Benintendi, got a quick strikeout there, and then Hanser Alberto came up. Quick strikeout there, and then also what was really great to see there, um, so it was a drop third strike, and with only the runner on third base, obviously first base was open, so that's a live ball right there, and the ball kind of skipped away from Zavala a little bit, but overall great job blocking it, um, and it was a really tough throw by Sebi as well. He almost, it from what it looked like on TV, it was a pretty tough angle there. He almost had to loop it, over the base runner, Alberto, um, and Abreu was just able to snag it over there at first. Um, and then after that, Hunter Dozier with a ground out to get out of the inning. So, you know, we've harped on Aaron Bummer quite a bit lately. Um, you know, he's had his fair share of struggles 
also mixed in with some good outings like this. Uh, so you just have to hope that he's able to build off this because especially moving forward towards the overall stretch run towards the end of the season and into the playoffs, uh, you need as many quality arms out of the bullpen as you can get. And um, that's especially what we're used to out of Aaron Bummer. Um, we need kind of the 2020 Aaron Bummer and not what we've seen from him as of late. Um, so that was very encouraging. And then also kind of like I was saying related to Sebi Zavala, um, I mean, even some of the starting pitchers like Lance Lynn have just spoken volumes about um, how great he is as a defensive catcher. So while the bat might still not totally be there, um, he is absolutely a plus to this ball club right now, which, you know, it's pretty fair to say that no one's really hitting all that well. So at the very least, he's able to manage this pitching staff very well and um, has some very high praises from guys like Lance Lynn, which, you know, being a 34-year-old veteran, um, those don't come too easy. So, I, I mean, I, th I think if it were up to me, if I was the one making these decisions, whenever Yaz comes back, um, I, I I would honestly lean towards keeping up Sebi in, instead of Collins. Uh, that might yeah. sound like somewhat of a meatball take, no. but... Um, hey, Tony said the same exact thing on the show the other night. Yeah. And I, I pushed back on him a little bit, just looking overall, uh, but I was looking more at offense. And then... Now you look at stuff like this and see how valuable that defense can be. It's great. And, you know, especially that allows the opportunity for Yaz to um, still kind of be able to take his time when he comes back, not be playing quite so much every day. Um, occasionally get some time at like designated hitter, but you still don't skip a beat there with um, who you have back behind the plate as your catcher in terms of calling a great game and just being able to keep balls in front of him and um, just doing some great framing as well. Yeah, right, exactly. Subby Zavala's defense cannot be undersold here, and there would be another play later in the game too. Um, I agree with you on the drop third strike play, though, in the specific inning that we're talking about in the bottom of the seventh here. Uh, that was a very hard throw because uh, he, he did have to loop it. You are correct, and he had to get it to where Bray could see it, not only see it, but also catch it too. Um, and obviously they were able to execute that play with no run scored. Um, you know, he, Aaron Bummer would induce a ground ball, which he is you know, famous for uh, doing when he's on uh, to get out of that inning, and the White Sox escape that still with the lead two to one so i'd say that's overall win great sign for aaron bummer uh and at the time obviously really really big because we're thinking that okay now we can go to our the rest of our bullpen a squad as tony and i like to call it um and lock this thing down unfortunately that is not how it would play out uh michael kopech would come in and throw a one two three eighth inning that's nothing new uh, that we're uh you know you know it's we're used to it at this point because he has been one of the most reliable uh, bullpen pieces here. But tell us about the significance of this because this is throwing back-to-back -back nights here. Absolutely. So they said on the broadcast that this was the first time he's pitched in back-to-back -back games in his career, which um, I didn't run a quick fact check on that, but just essentially based on his track record as both a starting pitcher within the minor leagues and um, when he came up with the White Sox initially, as well as the role he's ultimately played this year, which would normally be a few innings at a time. Um, it makes complete sense. But I think for right now, it's very encouraging to see that um, he was able to come out in consecutive nights and just completely get the job done. So there was really no cause of concern at all when he was out there. Um, I, th I, I think the first batter, maybe he started with three balls, but 
um, was able to come back and obviously record the out. Um, so with how close in proximity each of these playoff games are to each other, um, you're always going to want to put your best foot forward, especially if you want to advance. And that pretty much starts and ends with who's coming out of the bullpen um, when the starting pitcher either gets in trouble or just kind of reaches a high pitch count. And you look at Michael Kopech and he's pretty much a guy where if someone gets in trouble in the fourth inning, he can come in and eat two to three innings at a time. Or if they're able to make it to the seventh inning, he's a great bridge to Liam Hendricks to close out the ball game. Absolutely. It's huge going forward. Um, you know, I didn't know that either uh, before tonight, the back first uh, time pitching back to back here. But like you'd said, building up for those pressure packed high level situations in games in crunch time down the stretch. So good to see from Kopech there. Um, now we get into the ninth inning. White Sox not able to do anything in their half here, uh, but still up two to one at this point. You think, OK, now we're just going to Liam. Liam will lock it down. Unfortunately, not the case. A guy who has been a thorn in his side his whole career. Forget the exact line, but Salvi had. I think eight hits or something like that on him in 18 at bats or something like that coming in. And now obviously nine with a massive solo shot out to left field. Uh, and this would tie the ball game at two here. Hendricks has hit hard the rest of the inning. Uh, he was able to escape that though. A little nice defense from uh, Adam Engel. Billy Hamilton made a catch that was a little bit tough out in center field as well. But man, uh, I know William Hendricks overall for the most part has been solid, but there have been occasions of blown saves and it does, you know, I know it's a game middle of August or excuse me, middle, end of July uh, against the Royals. Doesn't really matter too much given the division lead that we have, but you want to be able to have that assurance uh, in when it comes down to those crunch time games at the end of the season, man. Absolutely. And he really had been getting the job done for quite a bit lately. Um, that was just kind of tough to see tonight. But yeah, I guess if you're going to take your lumps and if um, you're going to have games like this, might as well have it now. Um in late July against the against the Royals, who aren't a threat whatsoever to um, come and snag the division from us. But, you know, come September, October, these things absolutely need to be nailed down. And um, you need to be able to feel comfortable handing the ball o- over to your closer, which I do feel very comfortable in most cases. Tonight was just one of those nights where, you know, He just didn't really have it. He just kind of got hit hard, um, but was ultimately able to escape with only giving up the one run and just pretty much minimizing the overall damage. But um, yeah, you just got to hope for better your like next time out and just hope that you can build off um, his next good outing there. Yeah, so we, we what couple things. Uh, one, we have seen him give up stretches of long balls and getting hit hard, and that was mostly in April when he's still kind of settling in. And then May, he, he's the reliever of the month for the American League. So you have seen this bounce back before, so that's why I'm not too, too worried. And once again, the situation here, um, you know, you'd rather take your lumps now instead of later in the season. But uh, And then my other point, I guess, is you're not going to see Salvador Perez uh, in the postseason. The Royals won't be <laughs> anywhere near that bitch. So we're, uh, we're okay, at least on Salvi. I know there will be plenty of other hitters uh, they'll, they'll be looking to get after him uh, when it comes. 
postseason time, but hey, uh, at least not Selvi himself, uh, who has had incredible numbers against Hendricks uh, so far in his career. So we take it to extra innings here, obviously with the game tied at two, Andrew, and Gavin Sheets starts on second, because remember we mentioned the Eloy uh, exiting the game, uh, precautionary uh, tightness in the groin, so he comes out and Sheets uh, was the one who, bat for, who hit for him in the ninth inning, so then he is on second to start. Moncada strikes out, rough night for him. Uh, you know, you want to see him getting going more uh, because then Billy Hamilton comes up after him uh, due to the defensive replacements uh, Tony LaRusso put in for the ninth inning, assuming that you weren't going to have to bat again. So uh, Hamilton strikes out as well. Garcia takes a walk and then Goodwin comes in as a pinch hitter here. Uh, you're going with the lefty bat in the situation. Gives it a good ride uh, out to left center field, uh, but it ends up being a fly out and uh, White Sox not able to get anything done there. So we go to the 10th and it's Ryan Burr here. And this is really exploiting the deficiencies of the White Sox bullpen outside of uh, the guys that we had mentioned that were already in the ballgame tonight. Um, Ryan Burr is the option that you're going to here. This should just be a, you know, screaming cry for help. Uh, Rick Hahn, get on the phone. Like we need some reinforcements in here right now because uh, the the way that nine, excuse me, top or bottom of the tenth inning unfolded. Benintendi starts on second. Uh, Royals do go with the sack bunt uh, to move him over to third, and then Dozier hits a ground ball. Tim Anderson and Timmy makes the right play. Comes home, uh, cuts. Uh, uh, Benintendi down in between the bases and Zavala. A little bit of a heart attack on this play, but he does tag out uh, Benintendi. Either way, though, um, that allows Dozier, Dozier to reach second base on the fielder's choice here. So obviously, we we know the letdown would come after this, but we we I think we had a collective heart attack here as White Sox fans because at first it looked like uh, they were going to say he tagged him with the glove when he had the ball in his bare hand, and the runner was going to come home and they were going to win it on that play. How'd you feel about that? Yeah, I was pretty worried at first, and I think what is a pretty big product of that too is having the announcers uh not at the ballpark so obviously jason um was not at coffin stadium he was at the nbc sports chicago towers and you know couldn't really clearly see the transfer of the ball from sebi's hand to his glove um and i think the way he reacted for sure had a little bit of an extra cause of concern, at least on my end. I'm not sure if that was kind of what started up for you as well. Yes. Um, but what Jason had pretty much kept saying was that he thought that um, the ball was still in, was still in Zavala's hand, yep. the glove didn't touch. And then, you know, um, obviously then you see Benintendi racing towards home, like he didn't get tagged and then there's no one at home to, really stop that run from scoring if he was not ruled out um, and that and that would have been the ball game. So that would have been a really rough way to lose the ball game. Um, but I, I guess thankfully Sebi just kind of switched it off in time and it didn't even look like he had a very solid concrete tag to begin with. He kind of mm -hmm. touched all of his intended. It was a swipe back. on the ass. Yeah, it, it, but it even started towards the back, too, and just yeah. kind of went all the way down, yep. I guess, just for good measure, obviously. Um, but, yeah, no, that was definitely a, a pretty big cause for concern on my end. Um, but I guess, thankfully, things didn't end that way. Unfortunately, they ended pretty shortly thereafter. 
yeah, I think uh, my takeaways from that, too, uh, J- Jason definitely made me question it. But, hey, I think this is just a cry for, hey, these, these uh, TV broadcasters need to get back in the stadium so they have all the looks possible. Because I thought, you know, he did get them. It looked like it to me. But then when Jason said that, made me second guess myself. Uh, and then, you know, you're like kind of like thinking about it. And then it's like, OK, at the end, they'll see the slowed down replay, the zoomed in one. You're like, yes, he did. It was close, but he did. He did get him and he had the ball in there. So uh, I guess my takeaway from that is I'm not questioning Subby's defense anymore after what I saw tonight um right so uh, like you'd said would end shortly here after uh michael a taylor comes up rbi single back up the middle um royals walk this thing off win it three to two um i guess one last final maybe petition here would be that oh should dozier have been able to uh advance to second base uh, on the fielder's choice just because of all the confusion uh with the initial call and the ruling and having to review it um they showed the replay he was basically already there like i'm not going to get my panties in a bunch over that yeah, and I think that was another product of just Jason not being in the in the ballpark as well and just not really having a good view at that um, because this was also something that he brought up. And um, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. You pretty much have to think, all right, if your guy's in a rundown like that, um, especially in a close ball game like that towards the end, um, you need to make sure you're on second base for your team um, so that, you know, even though you hit that soft grounder, in order to um, essentially cause Benintendi to be gunned down at home. Um, You need to make sure that you yourself are in scoring position if he's going to be in a rundown like that. Um, Yeah. So, I I mean, I I think it was pretty clear as day, pretty much like you said, that he was there. Um, But, you know, I guess anything to stir up the pot a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And you got to have like one last like grasp, like you don't want it to be over completely yet. Like, hey, there's a technicality. We're going to try and, you know, because we saw plenty of technicalities and bullshit over the weekend in the Milwaukee series, especially on that Saturday game. So um, overall, uh, in the grand scheme of things, this one is not it's not the end of the world. Like, come on, like, let's talk. Like I said, a game here, end of July, uh, Royals ain't going anywhere. White Sox have a comfy division lead here, but uh, the biggest takeaway for me from this one, bats need to absolutely pick it up. Shouldn't even be in the spot where you're playing with this ticky tack bullshit and late innings and going to extras here. Uh, Liam should have had a multiple run. Actually, you shouldn't have even been in the spot to go yeah. to Liam. You should have been up like five, six, seven runs to not even do that. So bats need to wake up as we roll into the series finale. White Sox looking for the split uh, as they take on the Royals in a matinee, uh, 1 10 p.m. Central Time start uh, on Thursday from Kansas City. Once again, it will be Carlos Rodon on the hill for the good guys versus Carlos Hernandez for the Royals. What are you expecting from this matchup here? To be honest, I don't know what to expect from the Royals end. Um, I didn't know who Carlos Hernandez was until today. Um, I guess maybe that's not me keeping up with my divisional opponents enough, or that's just them trotting out trash. So either way, um, the Sox haven't seen very much of him either. The only guys that really have any at-bats against him um, are Abreu with one, Tim Anderson with one, Eloy with one, and then actually Danny Mendick with three um, somehow. But um, yeah, I would expect Kyle Sardan to come out there and, you know, have a really good outing. So I think pretty much like I was saying, the overall competition um, within the White Sox rotation itself, just in terms of, you know, who wants to be that main dog, who wants to be the guy to like get the ball game one of a big playoff series. Um, And pretty much the rest of the way out here, um, 
all these guys need to have pretty good outings in order to make their case moving forward. And um, I think that Rodon kind of needs to show that um, he's an anchor in this rotation and he needs to show that he can kind of bounce back after not having one of his better starts of the season over this past weekend against Milwaukee. Right. And some games, you're just not going to have it. We heard, we've heard Steve Stone talk about it ad nauseum, you know, about how infrequently you actually have your best shit uh, on the mound there. So I'm hoping for something, you know, uh, definitely an uptick from that uh, more what we were used to seeing earlier on in the season. I think one thing that could play into Carlos Rodon's advantage is uh, how humid it's going to be because Steve Stone, you heard him talk about how he liked pitching when it was really hot and humid. And that means it's sticky. That means you can get the grip on the ball. And obviously, Obviously, with the new restrictions and new crackdown that they're having, there's no more, you know, substances and extra stuff that you're using, even sunscreen on that. But you get enough sweat on there, you combine that with rosin, and that's about best you can do uh, with getting that grip on the ball. And obviously, we know Rodon's uh, slider uh, can be deadly uh, if he can get a dance like that. Um, so, you know, I, I am in for, uh, I'm just going to call it, uh, Rodon's going to shove. I'm thinking seven plus here, um, you know, uh, getting close to double digit strikeouts. You see seems to do that almost every outing. I'll, I'll go with 11 here. Uh, he'll just absolutely shove here and, and be that guy that needs to nut up and step up and do it. And guess what? He's proven so far. Uh, I know we love Lance Lynn. We're fans of the big fella here. But um, when you're talking about, you know, he has Rodon, no doubt about it, has the better strikeout stuff. And that is the best way to keep the opponents off the scoreboard. It's just to not even let them put it into play. So uh, I'm expecting Rodon to shove and we need some bats to come alive. I won't say I'm expecting that. Uh, probably going to be a low-scoring game for the most part, but uh, I do think we will get a solid outing from one Mr. Carlos Rodon. So that's about it I've got from this here. I guess, you know, with trade deadline coming up here, is there a name that you are specifically targeting? I know rumors have been circulating regarding Trevor's story here, but any other names out there right now that are just tickling your fancy? Uh, don't need to make a proposal or offer for him, but anyone that comes to mind now because we're closing in uh, less than, you know, uh, 48 hours here. Well, at least me personally, I was very much on the Eduardo Eduardo Escobar Express, we'll call it. Um, he, I was right there with you. I loved yeah, it. I, I, I thought that would have been ideal, too. He just seemed like a great fit, and um, especially being a switch hitter, he could provide some flexibility to that lineup that's you know pretty heavily right-handed right now. Um, so that would have been huge, and especially for the price that the Brewers got him for, I don't think it would have ended up costing the White Sox all that much. And even from his previous tenure with the White Sox, when he was little more than a role player, um, he was always a favorite of mine. Just, you know, always yeah. a pretty good guy to root for. Um, I always liked him for whatever reason. I seem to kind of gravitate towards those utility men, just like my boy Tyler Saladino and whatnot. Um, so, <laughs> oh, yeah, he he was the Tyler Saladino in my heart before Tyler Saladino. Um, so. With that being said, I would like to see Trevor's story. I know that's a little bit of a pipe dream, but if you're looking at some of these names here that um, ended up being pulled early from the Charlotte Knights, both Jimmy Lambert and Jake Berger, I think that those are two of um, the overall better prospects within the White Sox system that um, aren't aren't named Yoelki Cespedes that I, I think the White Sox are pretty comfortable with being able to move at this point. And to be honest, I would as well, just if it meant being able to have someone like that to play second base. Although I think more realistically, 
we'll probably be looking at um, snagging Jonathan Scope from our division rival Detroit Tigers. Right. So, okay, you address second base there. I'm just going to throw out one bullpen name. Uh, this is also, I've said this, we think we did it and talked a little bit on Sunday Funny. I am no uh, MLB GM. If I was, I'd be up there in the front office calling the shots and making all these phone calls to different rival GMs. So I'm not there yet. It's on Rick on to go and do the research here. But one name across the other side of town here. I know a Cubs Sox trade. Steve talked about maybe some uh, unwillingness uh, based on past history going back to 2017 uh, between these two clubs, but it would not be as significant of a trade. But would still be uh, a piece that the White Sox need, and that is one Mr. Ryan Tapera uh, out of the back of the Cubs bullpen. He is having himself a nice season up there on the north side, 291 ERA, uh, 278 uh, FIP, and uh, you know uh, uh, under one whip here, uh, 0785 uh, in the whip department there. Uh, strikes out 10.4 per nine. So, um, I, I just from kind of familiarity and seeing, you know, we're friends with some some Cubs guys. Uh, they enjoyed it. And I saw him get out of some high leverage situations, uh, especially like a bases loaded, no out jam down in St. Louis. So I think that kind of nuts is can really bolster you, especially from right handed arm uh, in the bullpen come crunch time, especially uh, with how guys in our own pen have faltered to date. So that's my one name there. I agree. Trevor's story has definitely been gaining some traction. You heard uh, Boob Nightingale uh, drop something on there. And obviously he was on the basketball saying that that was going to happen physicals fell through whatever you never know if you can trust him or not but he did say that that's all we have right now on that front so final thoughts yep. from tonight and then let's wrap this thing up Whoop. yep um i think on top of that um yeah i think that that's a great point in terms of ryan tapera i've also been a pretty big admirer of his this season just in terms of um how we've seen him throw um, I think some other good bullpen names, because the White Sox definitely do need more than one, um, would be Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates. So uh, he was actually someone that I wrote about in a piece that came out last week, uh, just pretty much checking in on some of the trade targets um, that the White Sox were rumored to be going after, which at this point, he is the Lone Ranger left from that article that has not already been traded. So the article also included Adam Frazier. Um, which he recently went to the Padres and then also included Eduardo Escobar, as I mentioned. So um, yeah, would would be nice to see like Richard Rodriguez. Also, another old friend while we're on the topic of Escobar um, would be Daniel Hudson from the Nationals. So he actually yep. recorded the last out of game seven of the 2019 World Series. Um, and he's He's been a pretty solid reliever for the Nationals over the years. Uh, so um, he didn't have a great 2020, but so far this season, it looks like he's at about a 2.59 ERA with a 0.90 whip. Um, so he's looking pretty good out there. Yeah, uh, good points there. I think uh, Rodriguez was a name that had been brought up, and obviously there's some animosity surrounding uh, July performance and, you know, kind of people wondering if the uh, spider attack ban uh, affected him and whatnot, and you see numbers, uh, that gets concerned. But I like that you bring up Daniel Hudson. Looks like the Nats, to me, at least it feels like they're on the verge uh, of being sellers here, but they just need the levy of Max Scherzer going to one of those West Coast teams so the NL West can beat the fuck out of each other. Uh, As soon as that that breaks, uh, the levy, it's going to, everything's going to flood through and then they'll start selling off some more pieces and it could be a fire sale right near the end here and hopefully the White Sox can scoop in uh, and get a Daniel Hudson type. So uh, Always welcome you. on the south side, Mad Max. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, all right, that'll wrap it up for tonight's show. Ken's great to have you back on. Thank you for joining me here for this. Once again, we will have you in the rotation more going forward throughout uh, this home stretch of the season, but that'll do it for tonight. Once again, White Sox fall three to two in extra innings, 10 inning affair in Kansas City tonight, going for the split on Thursday, July 29th, 1 10 PM central time start. Socks on tap is presented by ontapsportsnet.com. Make sure you're visiting there for all Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can follow us on social media at Socks on Tap and at Ontap Sportsnet. If you're looking for White Sox merchandise, Grandstand is the place to go. You can find them at 35th and Wallace right by the ballpark. Shop online, grandstandsocks.com, or visit their social media at grandstandsocks, where they drop a ton of new releases. That'll do it for tonight's show. Andrew, good to have you back on, my friend. I only got three words left. White Sox forever. Johnny, great to be back. White Sox forever.